Well, what have we got here? The mystic seer. The what? Well, let's try it, shall we? Have you got a penny, honey? I think so. What'll we ask it? I don't know. Here. I got it. What? Does anything exciting ever happen around here? Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, just again, just thank you to uh, to Mars uh, hanging out with us, talking about uh, Eye of the Beholder last week. We really appreciate it. It was a fun talk. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time. Classic episode, uh, classic guest, right? Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Um, so we go from a classic episode to, to one that I'm familiar with. I don't know if this is your first time watching this one or not. Um, but it's a little- It was not, but it's been a very long time. Um, but yeah, we've, we've had a really great streak of, uh, legendary episodes as far as twilight zone goes. Yeah. And I feel like this one is, is in there, maybe not like top 10, but there, there's a lot of good things here. So, uh, let's just get to it. It's season two, episode seven, Nick of time, uh, air date 11, 18, 1960, number one song. And this is a really, really good one. Georgia on my mind by Ray Charles. Very uh, nice. Number one film is Butterfield eight. Uh, I looked up this film just because the if you look at the title, the capital it's capital B capital U, and then it's like you know Butterfield Eight. Um, that was an odd thing, and it turns out that's something to do with uh, how people used to have to call uh, different like area codes before the area codes <laughs> exist. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with the movie, but uh, just based on the title, I just assumed it was a uh, it was an out of shape uh, baseball team. I don't know why. <laughs> the Butterfield Eight. I like it. Um, <laughs> there's no joy in Butterfield. Uh, no, it, it's funny. It's Elizabeth Taylor's first Oscar that she won. Uh, it's about a Manhattan call girl that has a tragic affair with a rich married man, and they exchange it at the call would be Butterfield Eight to get a hold of her. So I just thought, like, it's a strange name. I looked it up, and it seems like an actually pretty significant movie. So, um, but. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Uh, interesting title, but I like your baseball film way better than that movie. Uh, or it's a it's a secret government agency hiding the existence of aliens. Yes, it's the sequel to Cloverfield. It's Butterfield. <laughs> it's uh, either an out of shape baseball team or aliens. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> it's both. They, they they have to play for the fate of the galaxy. Uh, uh, that that's That'd what... be amazing. <laughs> That'd be like, oh my god. <laughs> I want that that's movie. Amazing. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll just call it Butterfield Eight. Screw it. I know people already know it from the other way, but we're just going to call it that. Um, all right. So uh, <laughs> that would really mess with the older audience going to see that. Um, <laughs> it's basically the uh, oh man, what what is the uh, the bad luck bears? Oh yeah, the bad news <laughs> or bears. bad news bears. Excuse me, uh, bad news bears just with aliens. I, 
That's a good tagline. I like it. Uh, so um, what also happened on this date, and none of that we just talked about happened on this date, uh, in a major change of American policy, the president uh, ordered that an aircraft of the USS Angerlaw and four other United Navy warships would patrol the coast of Nicaragua and Guatemala, declaring that the U.S. would use military force rather than diplomatic protest to prevent communism from spreading from Cuba. And this is kind of where we stopped having um, like talks is just started showing our like, you know, the, always the threat of the military. And I hate to say it, that's never really went away. And this is where this started at. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, it has nothing to do with the plot of this episode, though. It does not. Uh, and then just and then two other things. One, the day before this on the 17th, RuPaul was born. I did not realize RuPaul was that old. And wow. the, the day after this, Miss Elizabeth was born. Hmm. You know the wrestling manager of the yeah, uh, yeah. Macho Man. So sorry, I'm I'm still reeling that RuPaul is four, almost sixty years old. I, wow. I, yeah, I um was not plastic surgery is a hell of a thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you just got to work it. So um, yeah, but, but yeah, there's your uh, there's your interesting facts for this air date. So uh, let's just get to uh, cast and crew. Cool. So the uh, crew here, this episode is directed by Richard L. Bear, who we have talked about uh, first on Third from the Sun and then also on Purple Testament. He goes on to do a few more after this. But if you want to hear us talk about uh, his career, go check out the episode on Third from the Sun. And this teleplay was written by Richard Matheson. So we get a return of one of the classic writers uh here on twilight zone so i i was very excited going from two weeks ago we had uh a charles beaumont and right into richard matheson yeah it's, so. it's like the trinity you got beaumont serling and then matheson like you know yeah and that's that's the bulk of the series so yeah that that's twilight zone to me as as it stands right now like those are the writers to and, be reckoned with and if you think about the three episodes in particular you had beaumont with his extreme imagery and thoughts you know uh, and then you had Serling with more of the morality, and then you have Matheson with more of the. It, it, this could happen every day, or it couldn't. You know, yeah. Like, and it's they're very different approaches to telling a story. Yeah. Um, so we'll jump into the cast here. We have uh, William Shatner, his first of two appearances here on Twilight Zone, as Don Carter, who uh, we all probably know as Captain Kirk from Star Trek. I'm sure you're very excited about this. It's probably the <laughs> biggest Star Trek reference we've, we're going to have on the show. Yeah, I would say it's pretty big. I, I don't know who would be bigger unless Gene Roddenberry showed up in the background somewhere. <laughs> yeah, So, uh, but William Shatner, uh, as far as I'm concerned, his two best movies, um, curious to see what you think about this, are Kingdom of Spiders and The Devil's Reign. I put down Kingdom of Spiders. Uh, yes, it's just so good. It's 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 a it's a wonderful wonderful bad movie with an amazing opening song. I love the intro song to that movie, uh, <laughs> but I will say that the, the riff tracks of it is really great. Just hearing these guys is constantly just go after uh, uh, just go after him after Shatner. It's a lot of fun, and this was at a time where his career kind of kind of wasn't where he wanted it to be so yeah uh, he's had I'm a curious couple to of hear dips. that because uh when i was a teenager i remember we rented this film and uh uh we had a blast just kind of making fun of it because he has a peculiar relationship with his i think it's his uh daughter in the film something like that i can't remember exactly yeah uh, there uh, there's <laughs> i don't know it, 
I'll just put it that uh, Shatner is a little bit creepy in the episode. Yeah, for for uh, a movie all about uh, you know creepy crawlies, he's probably the creepiest crawly in the movie. Uh, but the intro music is <laughs> yeah. amazing, and the ending matte painting of that film is phenomenal. I'll say that the ending shot of that movie is really great. Yeah, and then Devil's Reign. If you're not familiar with it, a uh, lot of melting people. Um, oh my God, who is it that plays the main? I'm sorry, I'm just, it just disappeared out of my head here. Ernest Borgnine plays, like, the satanic priest who turns into, like, a Baphomet. He turns into, like, a goat man. It's amazing. Um, Is that the one that's in Esperanto? Is that the one, or is that the other movie he did where the language is a little weird? No, no, it's it's in English. It's it's an American film. But, um... Oh man, I need to see this. That you've already sold me. That like you get Ernest Borgnine's in it, and he turns into something. I gotta see this. Yeah, the screenplay. The screenplay was. Uh, oh, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Um, I'm trying to find it on. Amazing the, uh, is that the is that the word you look for the screenplay? It's amazing. It has melting people. Yes, and- <laughs> it, it is amazing. But no, it was uh, it was approved by the Church of Satan by Anton Lavey. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He actually was script supervisor. There we go. So supervisor. He, so he rubber stamped it. I like that. He's just like, yeah. you know, this represents us. This is this is the appropriate amount of Satanism I need in this movie. Like, I yeah, like that. and he he actually has a little like walk on role as the high priest in the film as well. So, oh, they just didn't put um, him in the background, like like serving somebody dinner. That would have been even yeah. better. Just like having him like work a soup kitchen, like a satanic soup kitchen, and like helping people. Like, oh, that's Anton Lavey right there. But it, it's interesting because the film. At the end, at the core of it has a very, like, Christian uh, moral to it. And the fact that he signed off on it, I'm like, well, all right, I guess. But that was probably just a way for them to promote the film. because And John Travolta's in it. Totally oh, forgot about that. Wow. So, yeah, very, very, very young John Travolta. Um, but I highly recommend you guys check that out. I watched it a few years ago on Easter, uh, Easter morning. It was a great time. <laughs> I, I need to see this film. That sounds amazing. Uh, just to, to mention Shatner and put on a little bit of context, he he was you know up and coming, but he wasn't like a known name really at this point when he was in this episode. He was only like a year or two away from from Star Trek. And mm-hmm. the, the, the part of it is that he said at the time that like work is work, meaning that he'll take he, he was so many small parts, so many bit parts. Um, there is the uh, I'm just going to do the cross pollination here. There's the Roger Corman film, uh, The Intruder. I think that's what uh, Ian was talking about. Today yeah, good. The, uh, I was I was going to bring that up. That was made around this time too, and that's uh, that's Ian's going to be covering that. Sorry, El Goro. I, I gave away his superhero identity. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, um, he's going to be mad. Oh, no, he's. I'm just going to see a shadow of a bicep and a mustache, and that's going to I'm going to get smashed. Uh, I, uh, I'm sorry, a beard. And I now, he, now he's even matter. angry. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> it's like oh, I. This is my last episode of Strange Highways, and it's been fun. I will be dead. Uh, but he's covering that for for uh, Talk Without Rhythm. So it's like interesting that he's picking Shatner around the same time that we're running into Shatner. And as soon as Star Trek hit, he you know that was big. But then he kind of had this other falling off point again where he was actually living in the back of a truck because uh, he had like no one would cast him because they thought of him as Kirk. So you end up getting things like Kingdom of the Spiders. You end up getting like the Devil's Reign. You end up getting these odd parts because people just didn't see him other than Kirk. And there was that weird stigmatism. And it finally it was um, around when he started doing like TJ Hooker and getting back into doing other things. 
and doing some of the Star Trek motion pictures to kind of show like, hey, you know, he's capable of having a little bit more range than maybe they thought he did. I don't I don't know what that says about my taste that my favorite roles of him his was when he was living out of a fan. <laughs> well, I think I think uh, desperation sometimes makes, you know, interesting decisions, right? Like like as much as you can say that Nicolas Cage is batshit crazy because he yeah. needs money right now. Uh, he he is doing some garbage, but he's also doing some really interesting things sometimes because he needs the money. Yeah, know? he's also doing drive angry. Yes, so. <laughs> which that's that's a surprisingly good bad movie. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I think it's interesting we're catching Kirk like Kirk. Oh god damn it, uh, Shatner on the uptick here, and it really shows what you would see in him later. And I think he he has that charisma. He has a really good look. Like a young Shatner is a very very striking man, you know. And uh, yeah, he, we'll talk about his performance in this. Uh, yeah. I, I think it very different from a lot of times you see him um acting like i i i think he puts in a really good turn in this episode yeah um so that's that's enough on uh the chat as i lovingly refer to him as uh <laughs> bill, bill chat yes <laughs> bill chat um so next up we have patricia breslin as pat carter his uh his newlywed wife in the episode so, uh, interesting backstory on her, uh, especially if you're from Cleveland. I don't know if you found this. I did. This uh, is interesting. At, at f- uh, her first husband was David Oreck M- McDiarmid, uh, if I can pronounce anything tonight, um, who was a director on The Twilight Zone, uh, which we've discussed already, The Execution and A Thing About Machines that we just talked about this season. Oh, weird. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, she was uh, married to him. And... Uh, I, I believe she had a kid with him and then ended up getting divorced to him and married uh, Art Modell, who <laughs> took the Browns away from Cleveland in the 90s and uh, is basically a supervillain to the city of Cleveland but to she, this day. She married him in, in 1969, and so she was a mainstay in Cleveland and did a lot of charity work. Uh, she mm-hmm. helped open the hospice of the Western Reserve, which is a really big, a big deal, you know? So she did yeah, do no, a lot nothing of bad on her. Yeah, like yeah. I, you know, she but Art Modell is basically <laughs> Lex Luthor to Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. I just, I would just say at the time, not so much. She didn't know she was marrying the, the, the devil, but you know, that's just, you know, that's what happens. Um, yeah. I'm not even a sports fan and I, I hear the name and I'm like, Ooh, yeah. Right. Because <laughs> it, it was such a black eye on the city. Right. Because he people wanted to keep the team and he's like, well, financially, we, you know, maybe. And the entire time he knew he was going. So that's the sin is not not leaving. It is basically pretending that you're trying to do your best to stay. And that's why people are forever mad at him, because there really wasn't much effort to really stay. You know, yeah, so and, if, yeah. if you don't know the story, he took the Browns and basically moved them and started the Ravens. Yeah. So and then two that, years later, they won the Super Bowl. Story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. Very frustrating for our uh, for our city <laughs> before the Cavs uh, started winning championships. But yeah. um, <laughs> but sports, neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, she was in one other Twilight Zone episode. I, w- I wasn't really familiar with much uh, much other of her work. I don't know if you had anything else. No, it's just that uh, side note. Like uh, when we get to this later, I, Matheson is sad that she wasn't available to be cast as um, William Shatner's wife and terror at 20,000 feet or whatever the title of that episode is the one with the wing Walker. He really wanted her to come back as the wife kind of as kind of like a, 
kind of as a nod to have them as a couple again. Like, well, oh, if oh. I'm not mistaken, like he plays pretty similar, uh, a pretty similar character to this one. Yeah, but I like I would like the idea if it was the continuing story of Don Carter. You know, like after this, he goes and gets on a plane, and things don't go so well there. Just super paranoid all the time, <laughs> right? So yeah, that's all I have for her. She like the moment she uh, married Modell, she kind of just stopped acting. So yeah. yeah, well, I would too. Yeah, dude right. probably had a ton of money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting because he probably was uh, set up with her through David Oric McDiarmid, uh, just being as he directed two episodes of Twilight Zone. So I just thought that was interesting. That uh, is her ex husband. Um, next up, we have Guy Wilkerson, who is the credited credited as the counterman. Uh, he was a pretty big Western character actor, and this was his only Twilight Zone episode. Um, and he loves uh, country fried steak. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, he definitely does. It just he is such a ham, and I love him in this. But I just wanted to mention he was born December twenty first, eighteen ninety nine. Wow. I, I just, you know, I mean, that makes sense because, you know, like it was, this was 1960, but the fact that he was born in like the last days, you know, of the 1800s, that's, uh, and he's, you know, we're watching him on a TV show. This it still blows my mind. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Stafford Rep, who plays so, the mechanic. Did was, you have something else on? I was so Guy upset. I hit, my, I hit my microphone. I was just like, bam, I'm angry at this. I was just oh, blown okay. away. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, we have Stafford Rep as the mechanic, who uh, most people know him as Chief O'Hara on uh, the Batman series. That was probably his biggest role. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was on two other Twilight Zone episodes. So other than that, just popped up in a lot of TV, uh, a lot of Westerns, the typical fare. Yeah, he would he would end up in an episode of Star Trek opposite Kirk, uh, Kirk Shatner. Um, that's this. This is not a joke. I keep doing that. I apologize. Uh, he, he, the chat. Yeah, he ends up working with the chat of truth with with Bill Shat. Um, so yeah. Um, I I think it's just interesting that there's a lot of a Twilight Zone that ends up later in Star Trek. So um, there's just more paths crossing. Well, it's two of the biggest TV shows ever made. You know. Yeah. It, it's a lot of actors. I'm sure made a lot of crossover as we've seen. <laughs> Um, and then uh, there's one other person I was going to bring up. I don't know if you caught on to it. Uh, Walter Reed. Is that who you're going to mention? No. Oh, uh, then who's the other person you're going to mention? Uh, Robert McCord, which I think you have brought up before on oh, this episode. Yeah. Um, he is the actor that pops up in. I'm, I'm trying to think how many it was. It was a. He was in 32 episodes of the Twilight Zone as background character. That's right. I mentioned him in um, a world of his own, the one with uh, the actor. World of Difference. Oh, he, uh, yeah, World of Difference. Yeah. It was the first time I noticed that he was like in 32 episodes of the Twilight Zone. So I did not pick up on that. But I did. Walter Reed, uh, I don't know if you have anything for him. Uh, he was the desperate man with the desperate woman at the end of the episode that we'll get to. I just want to mention him. He because he was in an episode of everyone's favorite show, Hawaiian Eye. There's another one yes. right there. Yeah, <laughs> I liked last week explaining uh, to Mars. It was like <laughs> there's a show that I can't get that I think is amazing that everybody is in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, I like it's become an obsession, and I hope that we do find an episode one day. You're gonna be like, this is terrible. You know, like you're just gonna be heartbroken by the Hawaiian Eye. Um, 
But anyway, that's, that's it. I got D. Carroll. I don't have anything for her. She was a desperate woman. Uh, just some small TV parts, which I don't want to minimize someone's you know career, but I couldn't. I there's nothing that she did that I saw that was uh, that that um, st- stuck out as like, oh, that's interesting. Just TV. You know, she was a boring actress. More more accomplished <laughs> than myself. I'll just say that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, so yeah. Let's just get to get to. Um, I was going to say Shatner. Let's get the Serling. The hand belongs to Mr. Don S. Carter, male member of a honeymoon team en route across the Ohio countryside to New York City. In one moment, they will be subjected to a gift most humans never receive in a lifetime. For one penny, they'll be able to look into the future. The time is now. The place is a little diner in Ridgeview, Ohio. And what this young couple doesn't realize is that this town happens to lie on the outskirts of the twilight zone so yeah that's your intro another another good whip pan to him sitting on the counter um and we'll get to get to what he's sitting near and i thought that was a cool shot of him showing up in the episode yeah that's my new favorite thing now is finding out your reaction to how they introduce uh serling's narrations clearly it's important Um, to me you know (laughs) no it's fun it it really does set it kind of sets the tone for the episode because uh if they get a little bit more outlandish with it, it means it's going to be a little bit more of an outlandish episode, you know? So if they're setting it more based in reality where it's just like, oh, there he is, you know, he's just sitting at another table in the diner, like we're going to get kind of a grounded episode. So I, I think it's interesting how they use him. And uh, I just like to see your reaction on him because you were really mad about the one. <laughs> <laughs> the howling man. I still want him to pull a wig off and be like, ah, I'm here the entire time. Um, but I feel like with this, though, I, I like the way they do it in the sense that he, he is the observer, you know, and like he yeah. he's the storyteller, but he is the observer. Like, it's almost as if you look to your right, you'd see him sitting there with a cigarette, you know, ordering an iced coffee and a chicken fried steak, um, you know, and that and that's and you could easily see that in like last episode. He happened to be walking the halls of the hospital. You know, that was very it. It just it kind of gives you that sense of immersion where it's like he's there to watch too with you, you know, even though he knows yeah. how it goes. He's there to watch. And I, and I, it, I think it's cool. And I. Yeah, I think that's what you come to expect from the Twilight Zone is that like Serling's always there just uh, observing and kind of the voyeuristic feel of him. You know, he gives the intro. He he is the all knowing voice that is telling the story. And uh, I, I I think things like this are the best intros that you can have um, where he's just on set with the characters. Yeah. Because, I mean, uh, well, sometimes just physically it's impossible, I guess, to do the like, well, schedule. Well, yeah, you know, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. We're uh, seemingly on set with the characters, yeah. not physically, I guess. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the intro. I give it a five out of five intros. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> so I guess we'll just get started with this. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start off here. So we end up with the beginning of the episode. You see a tow truck pulling a car that happens to have uh, Don Carter and uh, his wife, Pat Carter, um, they're just, you know, being pulled into town. You find out that their fuel pump is broken and you find out that this is a time when cars break down when you just look at them funny and everyone seems to be okay with that. Cause it just feels like with this and like the hitchhiker, it's always like, Oh, you just lost an entire tire there. It'll be fine. Like, I can't think of a time where I was driving and lost a tire. I've had like tires go flat, but not just from like, Oh, you know, it's just an everyday thing. Your full fuel pump broke, you know? Um, but they were told that they're going to be there. I was like, go ahead. 
Uh, and maybe it's just because I know nothing about cars, but even when I get a flat tire, I panic. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like uh, like uh, comedian Mitch Hedberg said, he's like, unless the car's out of gas, I don't know what's going on. But when the car's out of gas, he's like, <laughs> I get all confident, and open my wallet, like I can fix this. He's like, was well, it no? I'll grab my toolbox, aka wallet. You know, like, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, they're stuck in this this uh, this Ohio town because um, Ohio is everywhere America to Sterling. It, it feels like. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're in uh, Ridgeview, Ohio, which, as far as I can tell, does not exist because I looked it up and I was going to plan a road trip to a any diner that was in uh, Ridgeview, Ohio after watching this. Well, the next stop is Willoughby, though, just so you remember that. Um, That's true. Yeah. Um, which I have been to Willoughby many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they go to this diner to, to get a bite to eat. And um, but before they get there, though. Uh, they're walking down the street talking, and and, and uh, Don is talking about how he's worried about if he's going to get a, a, a promotion or not. And as he and his you know newlywed wife are holding hands, they go near a light post, and they're about to let go of their hands. And he says to her, uh, "Bread and butter," and she kind of dismisses him and thinks it's kind of cute. And then they hold hands again. Um, I looked that up. I don't know if you looked that up. The, the, the I, phrase. Bread I and did butter. not. I did think it was strange though. Okay, because it's almost you, like if you didn't know what it was, you would infer that it's a superstition. You know, like kind of like mm-hmm. you know, step on a crack, you know, break your mother's back, whatever. It's like he had to say this, and then they had to hold hands again. So, uh, bread and butter. It, it, it's a blessing or charm said by young couples or friends walking together when they're forced to separate by an obstacle, like you know, like a pole, I guess. Um, Saying the phrase, though, um, like if you let go of someone and as you say it and you hold their hands again, it's supposed to be like a good thing, meaning that as in um, you can't unbutter bread. So bread and butter are always together. So that's kind of where that comes from. It's weird. I've never heard it before. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah, right. It must be Canadian. <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. Um, what if you fry it? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but then it's like toast. I don't know what that means. But another way of saying it is salt and pepper, which I don't get that either. So it's like if you put two foods together, I guess if you just say it as you're holding hands, it's supposed to be, you know, help you keep t- together forever. You know, like fish right. and chips. Anyway, go ahead. That's cute. That's cute. Yeah. So uh, so they, they go into the diner. Um, they sit down. Uh, and, and in the meantime, as they're ordering food, he uh, he sees the Mystic Seer machine, which is a napkin holder that takes pennies that tells the fortunes. But like, if you ask it yes or no questions, and it has a really sinister-looking devil bobblehead on it. Yeah, with uh, it, it's basically winking, and it has a jewel for the one eye that's open. It's got a really great look. Um, one one of the most iconic things in Twilight Zone. Yeah, and um, the side note that that was not in the script or the sto- like when Matheson wrote the story, uh, the art department came up with it. So that was a nice little detail that they came to the table with that wasn't even initially in the script. And I think that it actually helps the story so much more because you have a face to you know whatever this is to look at. And I and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and uh, if it was just a box. I, I don't know how I would have felt about this episode because there's very little to go by as far as visuals. And, you know, most of the time you're just reading paper slips because the fortune teller spits out answers on cards. So when you ask it a yes or no question, it gives you stuff like basically magic eight ball answers. And uh, if all you were going by were the cards, this would have been a really, really boring episode to look at. You know, the story's interesting and everything, but like 
I really think that the art department adding that devil head on the top of it, it, it I mean, that's a huge part to this episode. Yeah, because, I mean, like, you know, you have the one eye open, it's, like, winking at you, and it's constantly grinning, and having the spring on there, because, like, I was going to note I liked it whenever uh, Don goes to ask the first question. Before he asks the question, he actually uh, tips the head to where it bobs back and forth saying yes, almost like yeah. as in, like, I, I know the answer to this, and I kind of like that. It was, like, a nice little, like, um, I don't know if it was improv or what, but it was kind of cool to give to give that thing some kind of motion where he's like, I already know that this is going to be a, a positive answer and uh, i don't i thought that was just a nice little little touch uh on the rewatch but it, it also kind of tips you in the direction that matheson wants you to go you know like you can take this episode in one of two ways at the end and we'll get to it but he's kind of setting you up with having the devil on there as a preconceived notion that like this machine is not good you know and it, it, i I, I I can kind of really appreciate that. It just it, it sets a it sets an atmosphere for this episode um, that may or may not be there. Yeah, and- I, I'm trying not to spoil uh, the ending yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's I think it was a really good touch adding that thing. I feel like this is a story, um, and, and as we go forward with this, I feel like this is one of those episodes that actually ages really well. Uh, in terms of the concept of you're asking an object for an answer and, and, you know, it's giving it to you. Um, and then the ending that we're not getting to yet is one of those ones again, where it, it's not, it's not technology dependent and it's not like effects dependent. So I feel yeah, like there, this, there this are one has zero legs. special effects in this episode. Yeah. Zero. Um, <laughs> other than seeing Shatner, Shatner. Yeah. I was going to say Kirk again, uh, running across the roadway, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but, yep. but yeah, he's asking questions and then also to, to point out, I, I like, this is a nice touch, even though they, they physically speak to it later when he's pulling the change out of his pockets, he's pulling out a rabbit's foot and some other stuff too. And so they've already, they've already set the stage that like with the bread and butter thing and the rabbit's foot that he does believe that, you know, and, and the idea of luck or fate or higher powers that, you know, why upset them whenever you could keep these totems around you? Um, so then when you're sitting at a, like at a, you know, a table with the machine that tells you, you know, yes or no uh, answers to your question, or I should say you ask yes or no questions like that. He is a mark for that immediately. You know, like he, he kind of uses it as like, Oh, it'll be fun. But you already see by the fact that he keeps these possessions with him that that's, you know, he's going to like, think about this more than probably the average person sitting there. Yeah. And it keeps it subtle enough that you don't know whether or not his superstition is rational or not. <laughs> so it's, it, it's pretty awesome as far as that, but um, we'll, we'll get there. I'm, I keep getting ahead of myself and I want to get ahead of myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So the first, the first question that he asked it is, does anything exciting happen in around here in this town? And it spits out a card that says it is quite possible. <laughs> yeah, I love all the answers on all the cards. Yeah, because um, they fit, but they don't. <laughs> like exactly. it's, it's like I said, it's very subtle. Um, so the next uh, question he asks it is, "Am I going to be promoted?" And this is the first taste of uh, that this machine may be able to tell the future. So the answer it spits out is, "It has been decided." In your favor. 
So he's like, well, there it is. I got now I got to call work. So he gets up and runs over to the payphone and uh, he puts 75 cents in and he calls his work. And it turns out that he actually got his promotion. So, um, yeah, it, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, 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 no you're right. Because, like, he, he got it. Um, that was the point of discussion earlier in the script. So you knew this was weighing on his mind. And, and but then yeah. also, too, we got to speak to his wife, how she was like, you you have this. There's nothing to worry about. And if you keep calling them, they're going to tell you you didn't get it, you know? And and also, when they're sitting there initially talking, like, she's kind of she's kind of indulging him, but she's, the like, the, the, the counterpoint in this conversation of just like, oh, you know, she kind of, you know, she ends up making these jokes like, you know, one question per penny, please, or whatever. She's kind of kind of goading him. And I like her sweetness, but also how she's really not buying in anything that he's saying, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, so I appreciate that. Yeah, she uh, she plays a great voice of reason throughout the entire episode, um, even up until the end. Um, so he continues asking questions after he's uh, starting to be convinced that this machine might be the real deal. And uh, he's asking if it's really going to be four hours until the car is fixed. And uh, the machine answers, you may never know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it, it eventually turns out that like they shouldn't leave or something bad may happen. So it, he's... He's convinced that they shouldn't leave until he he starts asking at what times they should leave. And it comes to three o'clock. Well, and, he, yeah, uh, he asks, he's like, what happens at three o'clock? So he, he specifically says three o'clock to the to the mystic seer. Like there's never there's never any indication of actual time in the cards. I just want to mention that because it's like it's important. Yeah, to it's, the conversation it's, it's later. definitely important. So he's like, are we going to be here till two thirty? Are we going to be here till three? And then it basically says like, um, "Do you dare risk find out?" And so he's like, "Oh, well, we got to be here till three. <laughs> so <laughs> before three, she wants to leave, and he kind of seems apprehensive to do so. And he's sitting at the table, and he keeps ordering more food and more drinks and stuff, just trying to buy time. And she's like, "No, nah, it's it's time we go." And um, they end up leaving. And this is when you finally find out that he kind of uh, officially, you know, you see the rabbit's foot before and you get the bread and butter thing, but he addresses his superstitious tendencies. And uh, he's like, he's like, don't you think something weird was going on with that machine and everything? And she's like, no, it's, it's just a machine. And then we get a, <laughs> a line that's, uh, <laughs> I, I think you know what I'm going to go into. Yeah. That is uh, very of the time. That would not happen now. I don't know if you want to go into that. Well, because so basically he's like, oh, he's like, I'm superstitious, which is like worse. It's almost as bad as marrying an alcoholic. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But yeah, um, I don't know. but then she says something to him and he's like, you know, like, don't treat me like I'm some type of retarded child is what he says. And I heard that and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> um, and it was so, so quick. And I almost snipped it out to use it for the very end of the episode because it's such a blunt statement that I'm like, I can't believe they said that. However, I was reading about the episode and someone wrote in uh, to Serling saying, hey, I, you know, um, that really caught us off guard. You don't, do you, do you realize how much of a hurtful statement that is? And hmm. I'll read this just because it, it, it is of the time, but they're trying to make a point to Serling. They said, if only you knew how much the statement hurt, 
could you have used a different sounding statement? I have a feeling we are not alone in feeling this way. We have a retarded darling that God sent us. And that's what the letter says. So they, they were upset that the word was used, but then they used the word describing their situation. So I don't know how I feel about that, but certainly like he read the letter and immediately wrote back this big apology saying, you know, I didn't write the script. However, I'm going to you know do my due diligence in the future to be aware of any potential things like this again. So he really got bothered by it. Oh, well, that's good to know. Yeah. But- yeah, it, it happened. It's one of those things, you know, we're watching a show from 60 years ago. Like, it's going to happen, <laughs> you know. And But it's interesting to know that even at that time that people were starting or were – uh, sensitive to that and everything. Well, just the idea oh. of like a mentally handicapped child, you know, like they, you straight up say, well, you're treating me like that. And then there's someone watching that has that situation. It's like, you know, they could see how that would immediately just like be like yeah. just a shot, you know? And yeah, you know, it just, I mean, it's, it's no, it's no racist clock like Mr. Uh, Beavis has, but you know, it's wow. <laughs> it, it was, it caught me off guard. Yeah, definitely. So after that, they're walking across the street and, uh, Pat almost gets hit by the car and uh, Don pulls her out of the way and uh, it, they, he looks at the clock and it's like a minute before three o'clock. Well, if I'm not mistaken, or it was at three right. o'clock. It was, exactly. It was around three, but like he goes, they go across the street and there's a truck coming. He's like, Oh, we could make it as the truck's not stopping. And then he pushes <laughs> her forward and then there's a car in the way. So I began to ask the question of, was it really fate? Like that was it like controlling this or was it just because he was wanting to be like, you know, it's almost three o'clock. Something bad's going to happen. Let's just run across the street as opposed to standing where you are and letting all traffic pass. But because it, it almost felt like not that he was shoving her into traffic, but it's like you really miscalculated the, like the travel speed of what was already in front of you. You know? Yeah. Like, and the, I kind of took it as like his headspace was not, uh, he was not there at the moment. Like he was, his mind was preoccupied with this mystic seer and he was not thinking and just kind (laughs) of running across the street. I I didn't necessarily take it as him trying to like (laughs) tempt fate or anything. No, no, uh, no. You know, he was just not there at the moment. Yeah. So then uh, we get to the the commercial break. We come back. They're sitting on a bench, and she has like her head in her hands. And he's like, "Oh, that was that was quite a shock, wasn't it?" It's like, "Yeah, you just shoved her <laughs> to traffic, you know." And, and so then um, they're talking, uh, and they start walking back through the park again. And for an episode that doesn't have much movement, because I don't know how you'd shoot a lot of the interior scenes, there's some decent stuff through the lattice work of the diner moving with the people as they're sitting out. There's not a lot you can do. And this isn't that kind of episode, but there's a really nice pivot of the camera as they're talking and the camera moves behind them. And he's like, well, maybe we should go back. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then you see the diner in the background between the two of them. You know, like they're looking forward and it's, it's separating the both of them. And it's a very good visual cue of like, that's the thing that, you know, that's drawing them back, but it's also dividing them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. They pulled uh, Richard bear for this episode because he is somebody on purple Testament and third from the sun. I I think he has a pretty good uh, visual flair to his directing. Um, So I'm surprised they even pulled somebody like this to do the episode because I feel like this episode lies on the idea alone and I I don't think it necessarily needs that visual flair, but yeah, it is nice when you get those few moments in this episode. 
No, you're, you're, you're I, I agree. I was just, um, he actually wasn't the original person that was supposed to direct this either. Whoever was supposed to do it originally, I forget what happened, but they, they suddenly, they couldn't do it. So they called him last minute, which is kind of interesting because he was, uh, called in last minute to film for the Purple Testament. And because, um, you know, and that, so it's just kind of like how it all kind of goes forward. But so uh, again, this is, a, it's a service. I'm curious his next couple episodes, if he got pulled in last minute, right? <laughs> like, maybe um, he came, a, became a, uh, staple on the, uh, twilight zone series just because, uh, he was available. the only one available. <laughs> yeah. Um, they used to call him bare minimum. That's what they call him. Richard Bell, bare minimum. No, uh, <laughs> no, uh, poor Richard. No, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm like, in terms of directing, there's like, I, you know, I'm actually happy that there's actually exterior shots here because the, we know that they were watching budget this season and the next episode really speaks to that. And we'll, we'll talk about that at the end uh, just for a second. Um, so it's nice to actually see an outdoor setting again for a moment before they went right back to the diner. Cause a lot of this has felt like it has been very claustrophobic, but a lot of that's been dictated by budget. You know, and so this this felt more in line with the first season in terms of you get a little bit of movement, and you get a little bit of interaction, but there's not much dynamics to it, and that's fine. That's not this episode. It's the strength of it is the story, the ambiguity. Yeah, that's and that's, th- that's what I would say. I yeah. would argue that there's not really much call for it in this teleplay. No, like uh, this is barely something. This is something that should not work on a visual medium. Be honest. Yeah, that's true. Like if this was a radio play, it would actually still work really well, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. You almost don't need the visuals. I mean, having the visual, like we said, of the devil mystics here and everything, it it makes it more memorable. But you almost don't even need it. And and honestly, you only see the one card once. The rest of it is just uh, uh, Don yeah, reading just, them off. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Anyway, enough art school talk. Let's get back into the diner. Uh. So they go back in the diner. And she makes the point of like, there's, there's a couple sitting there eating milkshakes at the table they were at. And she's like, well, why don't you just go to one of the other machines? Cause they'll be the, you know, they'll have the same answers. He's like, they might be the same answers, but, but they're, how do you phrase it? They might be the same cards, but they're not the same answers. Something to that effect. Like yeah. he wants that machine. Um, and so eventually the people get up and leave and he sits back down before the table is even cleared. And he starts like, you know, he, he asked for, what was it? 10 pennies. Um, and starts putting them in and starts asking more questions. Yeah. Um, so I think the first question he asks is, uh, I, I wrote down, did you know about the car? And, uh, the answer is, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I don't remember if that was the first question or not something that like that it. yeah yeah so he he basically starts asking are we going to reach new york all right and it says your chances are good and then will it still take four hours for the car to be finished and uh it answers it's already been taken care of and at that point the mechanic comes in and tells him that the car is ready yeah so uh, he shatner at this point is just he's convinced like this machine knows everything. <laughs> like it knows the future. Like there's no no changing his mind at this point. What he even says that too. He even says this thing has the ability to tell our future, and he even he, he puts Pat on the the offensive and saying, "Hey," or the defensive, I should say. Like he's like, "Here, you ask some questions," and so she started asking questions, but purposely asking questions that she knew were incorrect to see what the answers were. Yeah. And, so she asks, uh, "Will we?" Re- will we reach Columbus by tomorrow? And he's like, we're not, we're not going through Columbus. 
And uh, the answer is if that's what you really want. Yeah. So it it kind of fits and, with. And uh, then she's like, yeah. um, "Will I ever be married?" And then the card is, um, you know, the answer to that's obvious. Is what I think it says. <laughs> but there's that bit though. It's like two or three cards as um, as Don's reading them. Like there's a kind of weird glee that he gets. Like he, there's like there is like a small smile on his face to be like, "See, I told you," you know. And it yeah, was very, there, there's a definite smugness yeah. to like, yeah, this thing knows the future. I told you, like my psychosis is actually <laughs> uh reasonable. Yeah, so I mean they so they have this big discussion then about like uh you know it, it becomes an issue of if even even if this is telling the the the, the truth in the future she's arguing the, is it like worth knowing? Like is it worth being handcuffed to this thing if you know she's like I want to you know she's like I want to have a future with you, a future that we make together. And it yeah, was a really that, good I, line. Yeah, I, I love the line she gives. Uh, he's like, "What are you? What are you scared of this little machine?" And she says, "It's not that machine that I'm scared of." Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, like that? That's Matheson at his finest, right there." <laughs> yeah, and the line that she says is, um, uh, "We can have a wonderful life together if we make it wonderful ourselves," and that is one of the best quotes that it, you know, this like very short and to the point of like, "We we can do this, but we're going to do it together." And so he has to make the decision, you know, um, and then he, you know, eventually kind of snaps out of it and he's like, yeah, we can go where we want to go and we can go do what we want to do. And, and then they kind of leave and he kind of looks back at the machine though, just for like a second. And then they leave, you know? <laughs> well, I love as he's yelling that he's like, we're, we can go where we want to go. And he's like yelling it at the machine. Yeah. I love that. He's like, <laughs> he's speaking to this, uh, inanimate object. And, uh, it, this, uh, this teleplay you know, up until this point, like it's it's fairly dry. Like I, I know this is a very well loved episode, but the first fifteen minutes minutes of this this time around, I was like, I'm not really, I'm not feeling it. But this last five minutes, when uh, Pat Carter starts giving her, uh, just her feelings on the machine and on Don and everything, like this is where the Matheson really shines through and. It's it's a incredible teleplay. Yeah, because I mean, and, and also just the the you know the actors like you really get yeah a sense of yeah. sweetness. And though they're having an argument, it's not because she's mad at him; it's because she loves him, you know. And and she's always and she's kind of like I you know I be, I believe in you. Like, why do you need this thing to tell us what we're going to do? It's like it's almost like we we've made these good decisions so far together, you know. And it becomes and I. It, it's very you get what's going on but just the way that it's being presented it feels like a very actual conversation to be had and not a tv conversation and that there's a difference yeah and shatner you know say what you will about his acting i know it gets talked about (laughs) quite a bit and it's it's mocked quite a bit but him in this episode like he plays paranoid he plays obsessive he's intense the entire episode and it's it's believable. Like it doesn't play over the top. It doesn't play theatrical. It doesn't play, you know, there's that typical, uh, cadenced rhythm that people make fun of him for. And he does not play this character at all like that. I think he, I think he does it amazing in this episode. Yeah. And even like the small notes, like, uh, 
whenever she goes to look at the jukebox and he walks up behind her and kisses the back of her neck, you know, like there's a small little bits here and there um, that it's just, I, it just, you get that they're a loving couple and there's a sweetness there. Like that, that's not a creepy moment. You know, yeah, that's everything pays off in the episode. Yeah. I mean, when they first walk in that moment, you are referencing when he walks up and kisses her on the neck, like it comes back at the end when you can tell that she's not upset with him, that she's actually concerned for him. Yeah. Like it all pays off. Like they set everything that happens at the end of this episode up at the beginning. And I mean, when I, when I took screenwriting classes, the limited, uh, the schooling I had on this, like those are the things that they taught us to do. Like never set something up that never finishes. And this is just like a textbook case of that. Like Matheson, everything that he presents in the first 15 minutes, not even the first, five minutes of this episode is paid off by the end of this. And it's, it's such a solid 25 minutes of television as far as writing that like, it's, it's real impressive. Yeah. And when you, and whenever the third character in this is basically the mystic seer and they're not saying anything, you know, I mean, other than the cards, it is the reactions of the actors, but you have this silent thing that, that could be, doing what it's doing or it could not be and it's 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 a it's a tangible presence you know and that's i you know i we go along watching the show and i know i know you enjoyed the howling man a lot more than i I didn't hate it but uh, you you liked a lot more for the substance of the visuals and the concept i i really i really dig like subtlety i love i love the ambiguity sometimes and this this one's just seeped in it yeah i'm I'm all for it. You know, I, I, I love the visuals and everything. And that's, that's the thing I would, I would kind of penalize this episode for is that it's not a visually exciting episode. There's really other than the mystic seer, which is a cool design of the machine. Like there's not really much to grab onto. It's this episode lives and dies by its premise. If you're not engaged with the premise, you're not going to enjoy this story. But I think the premise is, is, is really good. So I was all in for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we didn't even get to like the little button here at the very end. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's get to that. Yeah. So they, so they leave and Shatner yells at the machine and walks out. Um, they boldly go where they've never gone before. Yeah, there's my, yeah. <laughs> I've had that in my notes. I've been waiting. Uh, so, um, so then this other couple comes in and they're just disheveled and out of sorts. And they're slowly walking towards that same table where the Carters were and they sit down and they pull the change out and um, the, the, the wife says, okay, go ahead. And the guy looks at the machine. He's like, can we ask more questions now? And he just pulls the card and looks at it. And he's like, are we leaving? Can we, are we possibly leaving Ridgeview today? And they pull the card and they look at it and they just lower their faces. And it's just this misery. And this to me is like, that that is that that is the Twilight Zone just coming in full force right there. Of you don't really know that the machine is telling the future. What you do know is that this couple believes it, and they're yeah. they're miserable because of it. Yeah, they're they're being punished. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's you know it, that's that's the thing. I I think I've used that word quite a bit in describing some of the characters in this, but they're being punished because of their weaknesses and everything, and you know. Uh, uh, Don and Pat Carter were smart enough to get out of there. They were smart enough to uh, realize 
that their fate did not rely on this machine and they they were capable of making their own decisions but this other couple did not and uh, they were being punished by the twilight zone to be stuck in this town to be stuck in small town ohio which that's not a twilight zone punishment that's just a punishment in general anyway hey uh, i i consider it reward uh <laughs> living here in a small town in ohio i guess i'm not it's the biggest I, suburb of cleveland yeah uh I, but <laughs> i i kind of like ohio well i i grew up in a small town in west virginia and the machine told me i could leave so i left so i was really happy about that <laughs> you know and so i never looked back but i i just dig this because it's like not that I sometimes have I sometimes have problems with paranormal stories where the rules are loose, but something like this where it clearly is paranormal or it could be, but you could look at it completely like, well, these cards are in an order because they are produced in a factory and they're placed in the machine and it's yeah. just up to the person pulling them out. Um, and it's up to them to read into what's going on or this thing could have some type of power and it's just like, and, and either answer is right. And this is one of those times where I'm okay with that. Yeah. And it, you know, I've, I've talked about that quite a bit where I like that you can kind of bring your upbringing and your beliefs into it. And I don't necessarily believe in a lot of supernatural stuff. So I like to believe in the latter that, or the, um, the fact that this machine was just put together that way and that there is no supernatural, but, based on what you believe and how you perceive the machine and even the machine, I think Pat asks it earlier in the uh, episode. Um, You're just a stupid piece of junk, aren't you? And it says it depends on your point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's the entire episode right there that the machine just answered. And I, I really appreciate those episodes because, uh, you know, you mentioned that this episode stands the test of time because of that. And it's one of those things where anyone that watches this from any point of time, you know, whether it was in 1960, whether it was a rerun in the 80s, whether you're watching it on Netflix or Blu-ray or something like we are, like those elements will never disappear. And you'll always be able to make that uh, decision for yourself. Yeah, but we but the further we go on, the, the there's still these trappings, and this is me getting on my soapbox for a second, of yeah. where people take um, coincidence and they treat it like it's fate, and this is this is the you know the epitome of this where the answers are very ambiguous, where it's like oh well that's what that means, and you see this still happen now. Like I was even talking about this at uh, at work recently because you know, in corporate America we're all about taking these profile tests to to see how we are in the workplace. Like oh this person's this type of personality, this person's this type of personality, and the one that we use is associated with colors. And so people will use shorthand of like, you're this and you're this. And I look at it and and some of the attributes that are in all of them feel like things I could be any given day of the week. So I don't (laughs) like, so I'm not saying that there isn't a thought process there and I can see some of the approach where if you can identify how someone prefers to interact, I think that's a bonus. But whenever I feel like, you know, you, you catch me in a bad mood or you catch me with not much sleep, or if you catch me as happy as I can be, I could be any number one of these things, you know? It's the same thing as, like, astrology. So, like, we're talking about this yeah, work, and yeah. someone's like, what's this? I'm like, it's the same thing as astrology. And everyone's like, oh, well, I'm a Scorpio. I'm like, you missed the point of my conversation. So, like, it's just, you know, it, it's this thing where people want to attribute 
like um, that there's something out there that's guiding them, regardless if it's you know good or bad. It's like there. So even if you get a breadcrumb that is possibly one way or the other, you latch onto it. And I feel like Don Carter, you know, was just like he was ready to have this machine change his life, you know, and that has yeah. not changed since this episode came out. Well, you know where my beliefs lay. Uh, I I don't really believe in any of that stuff. So yeah. I, I kind of fall on the side of that Don Carter, like you said, was ready to believe this and that he was going to look at any coincidence that this machine had as it was predicting the future. So, But I could see somebody who's very into uh, astrology and everything who watches this episode that would fall on the complete other side and be like, well, you can't take it for granted, you know, like... <laughs> This machine might be uh, actually telling the future. Like, like, do you have superstitions? I'm not talking as in like you believe karma or fate's going to come get you. But do you have things that you're just like, you know what? I'm not going to do that because maybe uh, something bad happened in the past. You're like, you know, what? I'm good. I'm never going to do that again or something to that effect. No. <laughs> I, I I have I have one of recent memory, and it's just I maybe it's just the chemical balance, but uh, but uh, Kraken um, uh, was it whiskey. I don't know what it was about drinking. Nah, that. It's it's a black spice rum and black I'm drinking rum, it right sorry, now. Not, yeah. <laughs> I we I bought the big big jar that was shaped like a kraken and I don't know what it is. I I drank that once and I ended up having this the situation where I had this throbbing headache and it wasn't a hangover headache. But now anytime I even look at that I'm like I'm not having that. Like it's one of those things where I'm like it could have been completely unrelated, but I'm like I never want to chance it again, so I'm not going to try it unless you offer me something I'll probably have it. Yeah, no, I I can't think of anything. I am drinking Kraken right now. Um, <laughs> My head hurts so. suddenly. I don't know why. No, uh, <laughs> um, so that's probably why I'm uh, messing up every word that's coming out of my <laughs> mouth. But that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of any superstitions I might have. But I well, you li- you live right by a, a graveyard, and some people would view that as in like that's almost taboo to live beside one. Yeah, you and know? we also have a Ouija board up in our living room from 1918. <laughs> like, I I, I have very little belief in the supernatural. Um, I've never been proved wrong. I, you know, I, I tempt it. Nothing ever happens. And uh, I don't know. I, I it's, it's kind of the X-Files thing where, like, I want to believe. I love a scary story. And I love the idea of some of it. But... Nothing's ever happened, and I've put myself in many situations where it should happen. Um, I don't know. So I, I, I guess I'm kind of jaded on the whole supernatural thing. So it, that really goes into some of these more subtle episodes like this. Yeah. Um, just to bring it back around to the uh, nick of time here. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in fate. I think there's uh, choices and consequences, and I think there. Uh, you should have to kind of make the right decisions. You know, you make poor decisions, like you're going to be punished eventually for them. Um, I, I don't think that's karma. I think that's just uh, intelligence. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I don't know. There's not much superstition or uh, uh, supernatural beliefs in my yeah. life. Yeah, I just uh, and and the same is for me, and I um, it's just the, but stuff like this I can appreciate, and Matheson I can appreciate. Yeah, and you know, like yeah. I said, like I love a good supernatural story. Like uh, most of my favorite horror films are ghost stories. 
So, like, not saying that, like, I'm just going to write off anything. And I love asking people about ghost stories. And I love asking people about weird stuff that happens to them. Just because I like to hear the stories. And I, I just... I want to know, but like I've, I never have anything like that happen to me. Yeah. I just, I always just kind of chalk it up to if something's weird going on, there's probably something I don't understand that's happening near me, you know? And, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but it, it just, I just wanted to speak to the idea of there is an independent object that's performing a function that you're really reading into, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Even, uh, Pat Carter in this episode, his wife, uh, she gives the explanation like you are the one that gave it a time. You're the one that's being specific. You're the one that's setting this thing up. Like yeah. you're the one giving meaning to the answers that this machine is spitting cards out for. And I, I think that, uh, I think that holds true with a lot of stuff like uh, psychics and all that. Like they can say whatever they want. If you don't believe it, none of that stuff is going to ring true. But if you wholeheartedly believe in that kind of stuff, like you're going to put meanings to coincidences. You're going to put, you know, like there's, what is that movie? A number 27 or something. Number 23 with Jim Carrey. 23. Yeah. yeah with Jim Carrey, you know, where he takes that number and he's obsessed with it and he's making meaning behind that number. And you know, people do that with everything. Yeah. And it's like that meaning's only there because you're giving it meaning, which I guess if you want to get deeper with that, I mean, does that make it any less true or not? If you're giving it meaning, like, does it have any less power than things that are like actually true? I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's 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 a rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> yeah, I know that's fair. Um, so. Uh, yeah. Did you have any, any other notes about the episode proper? I, no, I just want to like, no, 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 no. I, I could go on about this forever. I just, you know, I just, this, this will kind of be the snake eating itself a little bit, you know, like, yeah, it, it's just, yeah. uh, cause you ultimately, if someone has a mindset of what they want to accept and not accept, um, regardless of, of your mindset, it's it's a hard thing to overcome right and that's that's yeah. really and so i know i know what i if believe it's true to someone else like can you say that it's not it, you know it's not true to you but it's helping them or it's true to them like how are you to say like it's not real yeah i mean i i have science, it's, it's the same but... problem i have with like religion you know yeah. like how am i to tell somebody that like their faith you know, like I'm not religious, but if it's helping them, like who am I to tell them that their religion is not real? Yeah. You know, it's the same as this. Like, who am I if if your superstition in this episode is leading, you know, if it's leading Don to do these things, like if I don't believe that's real, but it's actually affecting him, like who's to say it isn't? So, yeah, I guess the snake, the uh, snake eating itself is a good comparison there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the other comparison I throw out real quick is like um, the the last exorcism. Even though I don't really care for the last third of that movie, you have this guy that's going around saying a lot of people think that this is true because they believe it to be true. So they're going to be doing weird things and believe they're possessed. Whenever I really believe they're not, you know, and that becomes yeah. that whole like you know, like but then the one time you know, which that's. <laughs> Two thirds of that movie is actually pretty good, but that's kind of that whole like reality versus perception that they get into. Um, yeah. and, and this, and I'm sure this is not the only episode that we're going to come across that's going to do this. Yeah. So, so uh, the only other thing I had in my notes, 
Um, I really enjoyed Matheson kind of had two explanations for the title of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one is that Don and Pat kind of get out of the city in the nick of time. Um, and then the other one is that people can become a slave to time and it kind of nicks into our life. Like it cuts into our life. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, just the duality of the title like that. I, again, Matheson just a uh, class act. Yeah, I know that I, I love because I know he is all he always thinks about the entire package, right? Like, uh, even yeah. like the, the last flight, he wanted just to call it flight because it was dealing with airplanes and cowards, you know, like, yeah. So I appreciate like even going to like duel, like, you know, his, uh, you know, the that movie, it's like that, that, that name fits so well with everything. And I, and I, I, I love, I love Matheson. I'm sad he's gone, but he, his type of writing really, that's that I enjoy that a great deal. Yeah. He, he's not gone. <laughs> not he'll always be here that's true you're right his he, he will always be here i just want to ask you before we get into the twist uh, uh is what kind of sandwich is just lettuce and tomato did uh, you notice that's, that it's all i eat so <laughs> <laughs> oh. being on a constant diet and uh you know that's and i i can uh, i can relate with them with when they order a vegetarian sandwich um kind of the health conscious thing the waiter is constantly reminding them that they have chicken fried steak. Yeah. And they're like, no, that's okay. Thank you. No, that's okay. And you know, we go out quite a bit and we get like tofu wings or something. And it's like, Oh, well we also have like this. It's like, no, but it's literally just tomato <laughs> and lettuce and a sandwich. Like I just, I, I don't think that's a sandwich. I mean, I guess technically cause you got bread, but I feel like you just have two toppings I mean, to a sandwich, and that's not, I don't whatever. <laughs> Add some mozzarella, then we're talking. Yeah, I was hoping slice of pizza in the middle, then we're talking. No, <laughs> um, I liked how whenever they order the sandwiches, the, the guy brings them out, and he's like, uh, it's like, this wouldn't be, this is not as good as a chicken fried steak. And he's like, we'll be good. Like, basically, just misses the waiter. And it's like, like there's that character actor just, just hamming it up, like, the entire time. Yeah. I just... Well, good on uh, good on uh, Shatner's character for tipping him well both times they're in there. So yeah, so um, so yeah, let's just uh, let's just get to get to the twist, and I we'll see how we rate that. Mm. Uh, I'm giving it a three because the, the, the I guess you could say there's two twists. One is that Don realizes that he's control of his own life, and then he says goodbye to the machine, and it could be just him. But then I'm giving it a three just because then there's the, the door opens a little bit at the end that it could be more than that. Yeah, this is a rough one because there's really not that, you know, we talked about that aha moment where it's just like, here's the twist. Um, there really isn't that moment in this episode. It all kind of builds up to you making your own decision, informed on your beliefs and everything, as we've discussed for the past 15 minutes. Um <laughs> So I, you know, it, it's rough because I really enjoy this episode and I really like what it has to say, but I'm going to give it a two on the twist. It, it goes exactly where you would expect it to go. Yeah, that's fair So, but it's a great episode. So sometimes I hate rating the twist because I rate the twist really low, but this is 
this is one of the better Twilight Zone episodes we've actually discussed on the show in the past two seasons. Well, and then considering like last week being like, you know, one of the mountaintop moments of twists, and it's like, and then you come yeah. to this, it's like, it's hard to put them side by side, even though they're not technically side by side, but I feel like they kind of are. Yeah, it, it's one of the episodes that kind of uh, screws up our whole idea of having a twist rating, to be honest. <laughs> what a twist. I uh, know. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's that's going to do it for, for this episode. Uh, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. You can join the conversation on there. Paul's always posting great stuff on there. Um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us uh, voicemails on there as well. Leave us voice memos from your phone. Um, let us know what you think about this episode or any we've covered recently. Uh, let us know. Uh, we're I guess we're f- still few weeks away from a mid-season but yeah we're i'd the, like to we're like i'd like to break through. into something yeah. maybe around halloween or maybe around the end of the year so let us know if there's something you want us to cover um and then if you want to subscribe to us we're on itunes stitcher um uh, google play uh anywhere you can find podcasts we're on there and then if you would rate and review us on there it'd really help us out i know uh paul posted trying to get a little push on stitcher uh to get a few reviews on there just to get us a little bit more uh, more noticed on Stitcher. So, uh, yeah, check us out. Yeah, because if you actually go through the browser through Stitcher.com and find Strange Highways, you can rate and review us there, and that will help us like maybe show up for some other people that might like our show. Um, but you can't do it through the app, which is kind of weird. you know. But, what, but if you guys could do it, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, which makes no sense because uh, who, who actually uses the Stitcher website? I, I know. Like, it's just I... I can't think of like other than when you have shows sometimes through Facebook where people will post things. I usually just download them to my phone, you know, and um, I don't, I don't use a, a browser to listen to podcasts generally. But maybe yeah, other people and, do. And Stitcher kind of uh, they, I don't, I, I, the audio quality is a little bit degraded on there. So I, I don't know. I'm not a huge Stitcher user, but. Um, I know a lot of people use it, so well when I, when I listen to myself on there, I sound terrible and I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to blame Stitcher for yes. for that <laughs> completely. Yeah, I definitely don't sound like <laughs> I've been drinking cracking all night. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next episode uh, is the lateness of the hour. Um, our our uh, favorite Inger Stevens is coming back for that. Um, yeah. So there's no there's no intro there, there's no tease for this I couldn't find one um, and I think it's because this is one of the six episodes that was shot on videotape and then converted to film uh, we'll talk more about that next time so I don't think they had Sterling come on set and actually do a, a promo for it um, so this one that this, you know buckle up because the, these uh, video episodes look weird. Um, they look like old school uh, soap operas. This the story's still good. Latest of the hour, I've seen it before. It's a good story, but it looks looks odd. It has that weird live television look to it. So not as crisp as the wonderful black and white film that we've been seeing so far. Oh, I'm I'm sad. We've had this has been an incredible three episode run. Um, some of my favorite episodes we've watched these past two seasons. I'm kind of sad it's over. Well, no, I think it's going to be, I think you'll like the story unless you've seen it already. I don't know if you have or not, but Paul, just, I'm sad. <laughs> it's over. No, I, the, the, the card tells me that, you know, that it'll get better. Um, so, so yeah, that's, it's going to do it uh, for us for this, um, 
like three times as long as the episode actually was episode. Uh, good talk. I, this was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, till next week. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, don't get the chicken fried steak and don't listen to the devil machine. That's probably my two, uh, my two bits of advice. Hey, I, I turned heel a few episodes, so listen to the devil machine. Yeah. Be. I think I'll have a tomato and lettuce on whole wheat and some iced coffee, please. I'll have the same. Uh, I've got some very good chicken fried steak out there. No, thank you. No? No. <laughs>